box office, bombshells, and Keith's birthday. Enjoy this in one sweet little package on Hollywood Breaks. Enjoy the show. Hey, happy President's Day. Yeah. I know we're running, recording this a couple of days late, but uh, it's a good day to celebrate still. It is a good day to celebrate. And I might add, it's also my birthday, but I thought I'd just throw that in there for... Today's your birthday. I didn't know that. Yes, it's my birthday. <laughs> yep. We should do like a special birthday episode for you here today. Just spending time with you, Tim. That's how much Hollywood Breaks means to me. You know what? <laughs> I'm going to get a scoop of ice cream, put that on top of that Vision Craft brew, give you a nice little <laughs> root beer brew fro- root, root float brew right there. Float? Yeah. The Vision Craft root brew, f- brew float. There you go. I, really <laughs> I swear I haven't had anything to drink yet, so there's no reason for me to trip it over my words. I just can't say it. I just can't speak English, apparently. Well, you look really good for a 65-year-old man, I'll just say. Thank you, Tim. I've worked very hard. You know, I'm using all the tricks of the trade that I learned when I lived in LA to uh, prevent aging. So I'm, I'm glad... I'm glad they're they're effective. So I appreciate your company. And I know you're wearing some short sleeves today, so you can show off your guns. Yeah, I got, you got well, like, yeah, say, yeah, yeah. I got a well. Connor's not here anymore, so someone's got to do it. <laughs> short sleeve. I got the hat. Penguins. Go peng. Go pens. Um, so yeah, it's uh, you know, I'm I'm taking it laid back today because it is my birthday. So. Are you going to go to a movie for your birthday? Uh, n- <laughs> no, I probably should, but uh, the one downfall to having your birthday on president's day is my kids are also home because they don't have school so oh, i'm dealing with that that's a good thing try- well yes it's nice it is nice to have them home but you know i'm not working today so because you know holiday but my wife unfortunately because she works for an international school she is working today so i have the kids so it's hard you know to get them the movie because sounds like a perfect day to go to the movie well Grab yes your kids, but they're not ready the for ant-man they're too young for ant-man they're not quite at that age yet, so I can't. Can we just like plug their ears, unplug, plug the, close their eyes, plug their. Yeah, I could do earmuffs or you know sh- sh- shades when you know it feels inappropriate moment. <sighs> but anyway, <laughs> but no, I'm playing. I'm gonna try to go this. Well, Emin did okay this this weekend. Emin did okay this weekend. Yeah. They don't, I guess they don't need you. <laughs> 114 million. That's not too bad. Yeah, that's. I mean, listen, it is not bad. Uh, it's 118 million. 118, wow. $225 million global, $104 million for the three-day. So they're already forecasting around 14 for today. Um, so yes, that it is the best of the three, three Ant-Mans, which we're now in a third Ant-Man. I'm wondering if we're wrapping up our the Paul Rudd era of Ant-Man, but I, I haven't really read one way or another whether or not Paul's re-upped or if he's going to go the way of Chris Evans and Robert Downey Jr. and ride off into the sunset. I don't know. Um, so all that that's sort of the positive side. Also, I've heard from friends who have seen it that um, Jonathan Majors, who plays Kang the Conqueror, is really good. He's setting up to be a really cool villain for what will ultimately be the next phase into the next Avengers movie, which I think is the Kang Dynasty. Yeah. So that's sort of positive. All positive. They're building a nice, it's a nice building block. Uh, however, that being said, um, the challenge they have on this one is the reviews have not been good. They're writing right around 48%, I think, for Rotten Tomatoes. Um, and the the Ooh. audience score is 88, which is not spectacular. You want it to be like 99, 100, you know, if you're if you're if your uh critics reviews are riding down in the low 
low flow 50s high 40s then you want your audience review to be really high and unfortunately so wait so explain this for those who don't know where the audience score comes from where is that being captured that's in Rotten Tomatoes. So you go on Rotten Tomatoes and you can rate the movie. You have to verify that you've actually seen it. I, I'm not sure what the process is, whether or not you have to upload your ticket or something like that. But you have to verify because at first, the problem with Rotten Tomatoes have is people just were going on and shaming the movie just because they just didn't like the concept of it. I think this happened a little bit with the female version of Ghostbusters where they just were, you know, a bunch of morons living in their basements were upset that they touched the hallowed of the Ghostbusters with the original four and changed it to women. So they went on and just lambasted the movie. So Rotten Tomatoes sort of changed things. So you kind of have to verify they actually saw it. And sure. So, uh, so that's the audience score is Rotten Tomatoes. And then where's the critics? Where's the critic score come from? Well, the, I'm not talking about the critics. Well, so the critic score is just, that's yes. just Rotten Tomatoes. Um, so okay. What has happened now is you've seen some movies that have had like 100% um, audience score and like 20% Rotten Tomatoes. Like critics hated it, but the audience loved it, which is one of those things. It's kind of a you know catch-22 for marketers, like whether or not you actually um, feel the need to promote the fact that you're doing really well with the audience score, but not so great critic score. Um, now, what you're talking about is the cinema score which is something okay, what's that so that is a rating that is done um pretty, i think it's done friday and saturday nights they ask the audience to rate the movie abc and i've sort of always my theory has always been because friday and saturday nights are usually the diehards and people who really want to see the movie are very jazzed to see the movie and if they love it they'll be your sort of evangelists out in the marketplace they'll go out and tell all their friends how great the movie is um so you want at least an a plus or an a because that means they love the movie that means they're going to go out and tell all their friends about it so they, that means you you're looking at a minimal drop in your second week however <clears throat> unfortunately for ant-man they got a b which is not terrible but it ain't great for uh from their diehards for the people that right so your desire to see it up in a weekend are giving it a B. Yeah. So what that means is they're not necessarily going to run around and tell everyone how great the movie is. And I have seen that sort of, you know, in my local circle around here in the burbs of Philadelphia, friends I've talked to, people who have seen it, who um, their friends have seen it. The reviews have not been great. In fact, people have said it's not mm -hmm. a good movie. It's confusing. You don't know what the heck's going on. Um, so, you know, listen, it, again, hundred. 18 million, $225 million global. It's spectacular. The China opening was only 19, which is not great. You kind of want, cause you know, they, China had been refusing to show Marvel movies for a while. Now they've sort of gone back to letting Marvel movies into the marketplace. So I'm sure Disney was like, well, we're kind of hoping that would be a little higher, you know, considering they haven't really seen a lot of Marvel movies the last few months. Um, so again, it, it goes to show that I think, Kevin Feige, he's got his work cut out for him because the Marvel brand has just always meant good popcorn entertainment. And now it's starting to slip. You know, you had Thor 2 and Doctor Strange from this past summer, both got B pluses. They did fairly well, box office wise. But now you're slipping down to a B. So it means that, and this is supposed to be the building block for the next phase. Like you think. So I'd say this though, like, but if you have, um, 
So if you have a film that's scoring audience score lows, getting B's in cinema score, right. but you're generating 118 million, 225 million globally, yeah. it, that's where the division of the, art, the marketing department and the filmmaker happened, yeah. right? Hey, <laughs> I got the bodies into the theater. Yes. I did my job, yes. got people excited, yes. told the right story in the marketing. Yes. And then the director, filmmaker, producers didn't keep it going. And that's where the Kevin Feige studio yes. pressure would be, right? Because the studio's job is to get the marketing right. audience going, put the package together, and Kevin Feige directors and so on have to keep the audience happy and satisfied. The mantra was always, for opening weekend is marketing's responsibility. After that, it's the movie's job. So obviously, Asad, uh, Asad uh, Yez and his team at Disney have done a phenomenal job. He was at Paul Rudd, was everywhere. They did a great job. Materials look great. Made it feel like it was the next step up in terms of epicness for Marvel. So they did all the right moves. And obviously, given the fact that, you know, the other thing is when you're heading into a third movie, you want to keep seeing the the trajectory you want to keep seeing increase. You don't want to see it decrease because that means the audience is getting bored. But the fact that this is the highest of all three Ant-Mans, the most that it's ever made, um, that's a good sign. I mean, that's good for marketing. I mean, they they pulled the right scenes. They were telling the right story. Their strategy was on point. All of them, everything that they needed to do, they did. The problem is the sort of post reaction to it was not spectacular, which means the what we call the legs of a movie, which means how long it you know continues to run and make money, doesn't show doesn't doesn't look like it's going to be as positive as they probably had hoped so now the pressure inside the studio this is where the politics of the studio start playing itself out right, right. so if you have a something like the marvel brand mm-hmm. under kevin feige's uh direction and the studios stepping up and doing their part getting the seats filled and whatever you and kevin can't keep the audience entertained and moving forward with new storylines new new plots or as you said even the brand is struggling itself right. after the after the uh, initial kind of avenger endgame mm-hmm. world yep. Um, what happens, you know, what's the long-term plan there? Because the perpetual desire to have Marvel just make money forever and ever, kind of like the Pixar strategy or <laughs> yeah. a Star Wars strategy, you want Marvel to do it, but yeah. I don't know if Marvel has the same no, I, sort of momentum and ability as like right. Pixar could invent part of the universe. They come out of nowhere. Yeah. So here's where I think Feige is thankful that Bob Iger, Bob Iger's back in the driver's seat (laughs) because Iger has come out as we have talked about in the podcast that they're going to cut $5.5 billion in spending uh, at Disney. And I believe, I think something in the neighborhood of 2.5 of that is going to be content spending or something. Well, actually I think it's 3 billion is going to be contact two and a half is going to be non-content spending, which will be ultimately be, I think that's where the 7,000, 7,000 layoffs will come from, you know, that kind of stuff. So we, we can already see some of that and Feige, you know, Iger made his announcement. We're making cuts. Um, and we, you know, you had news this past week, couple last couple of days at a couple of, what they call general entertainment shows, something that Iger had talked a lot about. He feels like there's too much general entertainment. They need to be more specific. So shows like the Muddy Ducks and Big Shot, I think with John Stamos, both those Disney, both Disney Plus shows were canceled. So you can see like there's sort of a reset, whereas 
ShapeX model was we have to win at scale. And it seemed like almost like he was just like, just go, 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 go. More content, more content, more content, more content. But unfortunately, the numbers weren't backing up that play, which is how do you lose $1.5 billion in a quarter. Right. And so now Iger's like, okay, we need to reset here. Let's pull back. And then Feige was just out this past weekend. And he said, well, you know what? We're pulling back. So this will give us time to be more precious with our stories, which All right. is a good move for him because then he can, he, I'm sure he was being told we need to feed the beast. So give me more shows, more shows, more shows, which when you're a producer, you like to hear that. You're like, go spend, go spend, go spend. But then at the, at the same time, it's like Kevin Feige's one man. Yeah. Now, listen, he's got a great team over there. He's got Louis Esposito, Victoria Alonso. All of them have done phenomenal job. And they know the audience, they know comic books. So like you can't knock them right now, but they're only he Kevin Flag is one man. There's no way he can focus on just the level of content they are pushing out. So now the fact that they're pushing, pulling back and saying, okay, we're not going to spend as much as fast as we want then that gives Kevin Feige an opportunity to step back and sort of focus more on making the stories more precious. Because if you remember... Oh, so this sounds to me like an, an excuse, yeah. though. I might say, like, you know... It's, uh, if it's you, a convenient excuse for him to say, well, you know what? Yeah. We're, we have to pull back anyway, so it works. Now, now you know why I'm not making more of this stuff for often. Correct, right, right. correct. And if you think of, back to the original Marvels, the, the, first, the first four phases were all... They were just focusing on movies. Yes, they had a couple TV shows, but that was it. And Feige and his team were focused on the films, and that was what they were developing, and that's where they're made. But the TV show was like secondary characters, the cleanup crew, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Where now the TV shows are the primary yes. and supposed to be part of this whole bigger storyline, which makes the the film's more confusing because you have to have filled in the blanks with TV shows and video games, whatever. So you can't kind of track this well anyway. No, I was going to say that Iger has said in interviews that, um, you know, he, you know, these movies look great, but they're really expensive to make them look that good. So, you know, I think it's an acknowledgement by Iger saying, if we want to keep the quality up, we have to cut back on the quantity. And I think that's ultimately what the what the mantra now we're seeing out of Disney. There's talk about pulling back on Star Wars and how many shows they're doing. And obviously with Disney pulling some of those general entertainment shows down, you can see where the strategy is starting to play out a little bit. Yeah, I think uh, with DC trying to step up the game, to, I watched the you know the Super Bowl commercial with uh, and then Michael Keaton is revealed yeah. as, as the Batman. Which I love, by that, the way. That was that, phenomenal. Me too, but I was... <laughs> And I just started asking questions. Wait, he, he's Batman. Are we in a multiverse here? And like, I, I believe go, we like, are. All over the place. <laughs> yeah. What do you get if three Spider-Man show up? We better be pulling the old Batman center. Yes. Although Val Kilmer is not going to be part of that world, like when I guess. Val Kilmer, George Clooney, I don't think will be making appearances. I think it's solely going to be Michael Keaton and Ben Affleck. I'm, gonna, I'm really going to miss George Clooney's nipples. <laughs> it's going to be really <laughs> sad. And <I'd> have. <laughs> I'm sure he's happy he didn't get the call for that one. Yeah, right. He probably got the call. He just didn't take the call. He was <laughs> He's like, no, I'm not going back to that world. No, thank you. It's interesting because I feel like, you know, our saying it's the end of the blockbuster is playing itself out this way, right? That it's not just a brand and a film and a big audience mm -hmm. and good visual effects doesn't just keep the machine going. Right. Um, it was Kevin Getz comment last week when we interviewed him that he said, he admitted that he'd only gone to three movies himself over the year that he didn't, you know, he saw plenty of movies 
doing oh, the job he did. Yeah. But the thought process of going to the theaters seems like a big ask for people after we've processed and give them too much good content mm-hmm. on, on their t- on their TVs mm-hmm. or iPads or phones yeah. to say, hey, the theater is a different experience. Let's go. Let's let's go to the theater and do it. Um, as it's kind of explained to me, like the time commitment to go to buy a ticket to only just watch only just watch a movie where now it feels like consumption is watch a film while doing something else. Right. Yeah. Oh, I could do a hobby, work on my hobby and have a film playing in the background. Yeah. So there, the shift of the, the blockbuster is happening, but also over the weekend you brought up um, with the deadline article, it's kind of confirmation that the, it's the end of the celebrity also like yeah. the pressure of social media yep. is collapsing and making people question what's this, the, the what's the real purpose of real value of celebrity yeah. and it was the vanity fair article with uh anna anna de Armas. what's her last name yeah. De- de Armas. De Armas. Yeah. De Armas. yeah so she uh yeah i mean it's interesting because i when I, I wrote in the last week's founders brew about what made me excited about the super bowl and all the commercials in it where they were all theatrical movies for the most part um yeah there were there were other movies in there that were on netflix or whatever but even air which is an amazon movie Amazon Prime movie with uh, Ben Affleck and Matt Damon. That's doing an exclusively theatrical run before it goes to Amazon. And so all the other movies were all just, yeah. I mean, it felt like for the first time that things were returning to normal, like, okay, we're getting into the big blockbuster season, March, you know, spools into April and May, which kicks off the summer season. Sorry, it's not the blockbuster season. It's summer movies, I should say. Um, But that being said, you know, if you look at all the movies that are coming out, they're all either reboots, sequels, remakes. There's no original content there. Uh, original movies, I should say. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try my best to stop using the word content. <laughs> sure. They're talking about movies again. Anyway, back to the article. So Ana de Armas in the Vanity, so Vanity Fair does this big, you know, flashy issue about the Oscars about a couple of weeks before the Oscars, which are, I think, two or three weeks. And... Um, so she came out and said, I'll quote her exactly. Um, she said that social media is diluting the movie star, what a movie star used to mean in past generations. And we've talked about this on the podcast, how, you know, back in the day, movie stars were like American royalty. Like you knew nothing about them, really. You could, you know, they could play a character and you could, tra- you could believe the character because you knew nothing about their personal lives, what they did outside of 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 the movie and you saw them on the red carpet and you know that was it and then sort of that started to fall apart it started really with like reality tv when sort of the idea of celebrity was sort of downgraded you could be famous for doing stupid stuff and then you know social media came Mm -hmm. around and then it was sort of like we started to know everything about the celebrity. So honest, said in the email, I feel like the new, uh, in the interview, I feel like the new generations don't have that concept because of social media. There's so much information out there and every oversharing the concept of a movie star, someone untouchable. You only see on screen. That mystery is gone. And for the most part, we've done to it ourselves. Nobody's keeping anything from anyone anymore. And she was talking about, it. she's like, if it's up to me, I would get rid of my Instagram. Like I would stop sharing on Instagram, but Unfortunately, you have the studios that are pressuring the stars to share on Instagram, share your, share your, you know, the trailer, share an exclusive interview, talk about the movie coming out, you know, tweeting. And then there's this whole thing where we've talked also about this on podcasts where, where just being a movie star isn't enough anymore. Like you need to have something else. So you have a right. brand 
And then she even referenced that. She's like, well, I would love to delete it, but I have brands that I'm also supporting that I get paid for. And I need the social media for that. So she's also conceding like, listen, yes, social media has to downgrade the movie star, which has taken away a mo- like the movie star actually got movies made back in the day. Like when a movie star attached themselves to a movie, the studio would green light it because they were like, oh, yes. Tom Hanks is going to be in this movie. That's a guaranteed 40, $50 million opening. Boom. He's in. Let's green light the movie right now. Which is why when you were trying to get a movie made, you were chasing stars because that meant you got somebody attached, boom, it immediately fast-tracked the development. But those days are gone. It's so interesting, the brand creation. It's So what Ryan Reynolds and yeah. Reese, Reese Witherspoon did and even what Will Smith got himself into <laughs> yeah. um, with the brand thing. And, you know, when someone was asking me over the weekend about Will Smith, I, I kind of expressed how the pressure changed. Like his his world had to be all social media. He put himself out there, created more criticism. Mm-hmm. His family life was out there going. And then yep. when you have a public moment, it's, it's everybody knows everything kind of a crap. Yeah. And that's, that pressure has got to be so weird. And I think it changes the dynamic. And then one act like that, clearly, but it doesn't just tumble his career, but it tumbles the entire brand, the brand strategy, the connections and so on. Like there was a desire to push movie stars, brands into the public, into uh, in public space in such a way that you can even list those brands on wall street and yeah. buy and sell those, those as assets, totally different game. This gen having a celebrity that has a personality and a drive to make you go watch that film yeah. or desire to meet them, to get their autograph, to go to, go to events where they might show up, even just watch the Oscars. Cause yes. the only place that, that you would see them and collect them. Right. Exactly. It's all washed into some oblivion of something else. And, it feels like the social media point of view now has to get to extremes too, mm-hmm. where it's really the only things that get attention are, you know, photos of people and, you know, nude photos or extreme situations or crazy act people acting out in strange ways or whatever. Cause yeah. even that noise is so loud because you're on the level playing field with, I don't know, everyone else on the planet's Instagram feed. So it's, even that act is like more and more extreme. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it, you know, get that into the movie star era that way, really. And I don't know if it's into the movie star, but into the celebrity era mm. is, um, is taking an evolution and change too of like, you know, the idea of consumption and desire to watch certain programs or TV shows. You probably even make them, you know, who's making them and why would they make them? It's interesting. Like, because, you know, I was still working at Fox when sort of the, I, I was there for the transition from like, you know, where digital marketing was basically the website with the trailer and a link to click to get tickets, right? Yeah, right. And then it sort of evolved <laughs> to sort of like Facebook came along, then Instagram, and then Twitter, and then TikTok, and then Snapchat, and all these ways to interact with your with the audience and the consumer that I think we, as a marketer, we just dived in because it was like, oh, we finally get to interact directly with our consumer versus like, because the issue with film marketing in particular is we never really di- directly interact with the consumer. There's always a third party in the way for the most part. And now we, this was sort of like a way for us to directly interact with them. We didn't have to go, we couldn't just rely on a TV spot anymore. We could use it to directly interact. And I think we just dived in and we never really thought like, oh, wait a minute, we dive into this aspect of marketing, but then we lose the idea of a movie star being like, sort of another point of access for us to promote a film. So it, it's interesting 
how that sort of that that sort of decision making there has sort of come back to bite us a little bit. And I'd also say your point on the Oscars is perfect because we know so much about them now that we don't feel the need to watch an award show where they're going to get up and pontificate about something because we know so much about them anyway. And it's just like, it's not special. It doesn't have that special. Oh, we get to watch so-and-so watch red carpet. I haven't seen them in anything in months. So it'd be really cool to see them and what they're wearing. Well, even just the need to watch the show to find out the results yeah. or to see the highlights. Right. Like you don't, I can capture them afterward. I, yeah. To the water cooler talk, proverbial water cooler talk, which are no more water coolers anymore either. But <laughs> that whole desire to keep up with that understanding can be consumed in clips yeah. immediately following the show or clips during the show. Right. So there's, there's a major shift happening where in consumption, where if you commoditize the stuff that was valuable in the past to this, what Marvel's doing wide range of taking the a list characters and putting onto TV shows into six part episodic series on Disney plus just to churn people to subscriptions is giving up the high bo box office, multi-billion dollar returns they used to get in a box office. Yep. And that would play itself out through the ranks. Right. Exactly. Um, and I'll go back to like the studio that when it comes to the theater too, the theaters are being pushed to such an extreme of commoditization as well. Yeah. So the studios are controlling something, putting pressure on their actors, putting pressure on their producers, and then now putting pre 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 uh, pressure on the distribution channels. The studios really are just, I don't know, they're like putting so much pressure on, they're going to, they're going to break up. They're, they're, they're going to have a lot of, lot of uh, ground to fill in in the future. If they don't start recognizing what they have as assets and leveraging them properly. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's the other thing that, you know, to Iger's credit, you know, he's, he basically came out and said, listen, we're going to focus on what we have and sort of the great IP we have in-house already that we're just going to start to develop more and use it more and take advantage of who we are as a company. Disney is probably the only studio, I would argue, that has real brand recognition, like real brand recognition. Now, the other studios, nobody cares about the logos that pop up. They could it's, no. it's just although paramount's been killing it yeah, paramount, but, it's not but the that's still no one's gonna Australia. recognize it i would say the only other and it's another illumination maybe might have sort of started and marvel marvel has developed that sort of you know when you see that that marvel studios logo oh this is going to be a good popcorn flick right and but that's yeah, a part of right. disney so it's like disney has done a really good job of building up these brands but now the challenge is you have to live up to that brand and you know, some of the other studios have, have the advantage of not really having the brand record so they can kind of fail, you know, every now and then. Um, but you're right. They got to, they have to start being smart about how they're going to push out their product, where their product is going to go. They need to invest in theater, theaters. I wish somebody would buy a movie theater for the love of God. There's 35 theaters that Regal is selling. Will somebody please buy one? I mean, it's not <laughs> going to be that expensive. They're in bankruptcy. <laughs> I'm going to keep talking about Stone Blue in the but face. But there's a reason why they're bankruptcy. You have to get them out of bankruptcy, which also costs cash. After. If you got it for free, it would still cost you a few uh, hundred million dollars. Well, it's going to be discounted. I mean, listen, Regal wants to offload them. It's going to be discounted. I mean, they're selling the one in Sherman Oaks. I can't believe no one in, no one in the studio world has jumped on that. I mean, that theater is like legendary. Anyway, so uh, I digress. But I'm going to talk about yeah. Stone Blue in the face. So just for our audience, I apologize. You're going to hear this a lot over the next few months. Anyway. I think that's sort of something that has to be taken into consideration as well. Um, 
So we'll see what happens over the course. I keep saying this, but we'll see what happens over the course of the next few months. Yeah. Although I don't, I. I don't anticipate much change. And let's push this. Like, so let's push the agenda of like, we want to go beyond, we want to go beyond the handheld screen too. Like, yes. let's at least understand and push this agenda. If we're going to have one here on this show is yes. the desire to go beyond the handheld screen is still there. The activity of doing that needs to have a greater purpose than seeing people we already know in social media doing a story that's already been abused on a TV <laughs> network or OTT platform. <laughs> and then just giving us one more, hour and a half reveal to a, you know, a 98 part episodic series. Like, I don't think that's going to drive us there. Right. But the thought process of, Hey, I want to connect with other people. There's a, a great um, ability to take your kids to the film, create a movement of, around your birthday, something like that. There are great things that still can be connecting points that theaters and shows can bring us. Let's, let's make the content get the viewers in the seat and um, promote thing, good, good, wholesome things that way. Yeah. I think you'll get a return on investment. I would agree with that. I, I mean, I, I still agree with what Kevin gets in his, his book audienceology, where he said like the theater is the one thing that unites us regardless of your political persuasion, where you're from. I mean, granted there have been movies over the last few years that have definitely gone one way politically. And I think that's why they've sort of landed with a thud, but there are still movies like top gun, um, and even Avatar that just appeal across the board. And I, I'm hopeful that the studios have sort of gotten off this train of like, well, we need to push this message or that message and sort of start creating more general entertainment to use Bob Iger's phrase or entertainment that can appeal to everyone and not just a certain subset of the audience because the theatrical experience is still uh, once, you know, a very distinct experience. And I think there, I mean, I can't imagine seeing a movie like Avatar on my phone or my computer screen. And, you know, the trailers they had in that for right before Avatar, there were a lot of movies in there like, yeah, I couldn't imagine seeing that on my screen. Or I'm not, I want to see that in the theater. I want to see that in the theater. And that's how you draw people back in. So hopefully lessons Absolutely. are being learned. But again, I feel like we've been saying this over and over again. So <laughs> we'll see if maybe it starts to sink in. Come on, we know Anna Darmus is listening to us. Yes, she quoted of us she is. in Vanity Fair. I'll be I'll be tagging her and uh, when I post this episode on Instagram, I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> so everyone else, will you listen to us? Please put it back up. Yeah. Well, this is a good place to wrap it, uh, us up. Happy birthday, Keith. Thank you. I appreciate it, Tim. Enjoy the rest of your day. I will. Um, that's a lot of birthday candles there. Yes, I have my cake is my cake is gonna be filled with a lot of candles. Thank you very much, but not as many as you. <laughs> Bird. Big bucket of water. Just make sure <laughs> you still have. You will always have more candles than I do, Tim. So uh, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's <true>. the reality. <laughs> older and wiser. That's what we're doing over. <laughs> well, older for sure. I'm not sure about the wiser part, but you're definitely older. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll give that to you because it's your birthday next Thank week. You. Though rules change. <laughs> yeah, next week we'll go back tomorrow. All right, happy birthday. Thank you. See you next week.